today we finish our Lenten series, What Does the Lord Require of You? Moving to the 21st chapter of Matthew's Gospel, I'll be reading this passage for us, the first 11 verses. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put the, on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. On a day when the words are fresh in our ears, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And we have in mind the, the palms waving as Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem. We have plenty of reminders that we serve a Savior who is a King. But what kind of King is He? That's the question. You may remember that as a nation, Israel didn't always have a king. In 1 Samuel 8, we can read where the people first came to God through the prophet Samuel, saying, give us a king that we might be like all the nations. And in their brief history as a nation, they had only experienced judges and prophets as those who would be their leaders. But as we read the words of the Israelites to Samuel the prophet, we can see the kind of king that the children of Israel desired. For they said, we will have a king over us that we may be like all the nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles for us. You see in that passage how war and governance are combined together? That's the type of leader Israel always desired from the very beginning. And that's why Israel was so pleased with Saul as their first king because he was a, a large, tall, strapping human being who could go out and physically lead them in battle. He had the kind of attributes to be successful as a ruler and a warrior in battle. 
But of course, all of that was just on the surface. Unfortunately, on the spiritual level, what the children of Israel were saying with their desire for a king was that their fear of military defeat was greater than their trust in God, the one who had always fought their battles for them. To use New Testament words, they were living by sight instead of by faith. If there must be a king, God's idea of a king was more like the young David. You know, on the surface, he was small and unimpressive. And yet one who faced the giant Goliath with just a sling and stones, and he went out to that battle that day in the name of the Lord Almighty. He was acting in faith. Now the reason we need to talk about these two different concepts of kingship is because of Zechariah 9, a passage that Matthew quotes here in our scripture lesson today. And obviously there's a reason that Matthew is, is quoting this prophet and this particular passage. Why is that? Well, if you read Zechariah 9, you can see that this king who arrives is not shown as as some triumphant warrior just off the field of battle who's been successful once again, but as one who is faithful to the covenant of God and one who relies on God completely. In fact, this king in Zechariah 9 is shown as a humble figure who enters the city not on a war horse or in some sort of mighty chariot, but on a lowly donkey. If you read on in Zechariah 9, you can see that God declares His intention to remove all of the military equipment from the land of Israel. There'll be no need for war horses or chariots or bows and arrows. For this king who relies totally on God will be ruling and His purpose is to rule in peace, to bring peace. A peace that will be announced not just to Israel, but to all the nations of the world. Now I say all of this not to bog us down, but to make sure that we understand the intention of Jesus in orchestrating His arrival into the city of Jerusalem here at the beginning of Passover. We have to remember that all through His public ministry as Jesus began to perform more and more miracles as He walked around the countryside and taught the people, people were always asking over and over again, Who are you? By what authority do you do these kinds of things? The scribes and Pharisees particularly wanted to know who He really was. Even at His trial. The chief priests and scribes say to him, If you are the Christ, tell us. And on the other hand, as Jesus performed miracles, you'll remember he would tell the people, Don't tell anybody about this. You know, he would tell his disciples. He would begin to say some things to them about who he really was, but he'd say, Now don't tell anybody. It's not just those against Jesus or even those sitting on the fence in the land of Israel. Others who were for Jesus were just as curious. 
In Matthew 11, we can read that when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you he who is to come? Or shall we wait for another? As we read our text, as well as read in between the lines, we can see that Jesus has planned all of this ahead of time. He's sovereignly administrating these events and He's intentionally answering all of these questions that He's heard all throughout His public ministry. When over and over again the people wanted to know, Who are you? He is telling them with this prophetic action, just like we'd see an Old Testament prophet do, who would go out and act something out. Like uh, the prophet Jeremiah, you'll remember, who wore a yoke around to talk about exile and slavery to the nation of Israel. Like another prophet who took a garment and tore it into twelve pieces and gave ten to Jeroboam and two to Rehoboam. This is the kind of dramatic, prophetic, experience that Jesus is giving to the city of Jerusalem when there would be more Jews gathered in one place than at any other time. Scholars tell us that the population of Jerusalem was typically in Jesus' day and time, they believe, around 50,000 people. But that number could swell from in between anywhere to 125,000 to 250,000 people depending upon whom you read. There were people everywhere. And Messianic excitement tended to run high during the Passover season anyway. It was especially so on the heels of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead just over in Bethany a mile or so away. And just imagine how that news must have traveled from mouth to mouth and house to house. And this prophecy from Zechariah gives us the nature of Jesus' arrival. He comes as the righteous one who offers salvation. Who offers reconciliation with God because He's coming bringing peace. And again, not coming as a military hero. But as one scholar puts it, his entry is triumphant in a paradoxical sense because his victory will come by way of being nailed to the cross, which makes it look like he's been defeated instead of victorious. And in his entrance into the city, we can see him receiving the type of acclaim that he should have received all of his life as the King of kings and Lord of lords. The same type of acclaim that He received when He was born and heard praise from God's spokesman there in the temple. You remember Simeon and Anna the prophetess. How He received praise from the angels. How He received praise from the wise men when they came and worshipped Him and offered Him their gifts. In fact, in our text, we can see that the whole town is stirred up in a frenzy, much like it was when the wise men went to Herod at his birth. 
and said, Where is He who's been born King of the Jews? For we've seen His star in the east, and we've come to worship Him. And Matthew tells us that when Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. You see, that was at the beginning of his life, and here at the end of his life, Jerusalem is just as troubled, especially those in power. But the nation is also excited with the, the hope of conquering Rome once and for all through this long-awaited Messiah, this Jesus who could even raise people from the dead. Think about what He could do on the field of battle. And that's why they cry out to Him, Hosanna. It's a word that means save us now. It's a word in the Old Testament that over and over again is directed to the King. And these people are directing it to their King. The trouble is they were looking for one kind of salvation, that of freedom from Roman rule. But Jesus was there to bring another kind of salvation, that of freedom from sin. In other words, God was giving the Jews not what they wanted, but what they needed. How often does He do that to you and me? We have dreamed up in our minds exactly what we need God to give us. And, and it's this, and He gives us this over here. Because He knows what we need. Not just what we would like to have. Jesus acts out this prophetic drama to show that God is giving them exactly what they need. And He makes this truth unmistakable. And yet this shows us how powerful our own expectations can be in that we can hear the truth of God's Word. I mean, Jesus is acting out what the prophet Zechariah had talked about. One who would not bring war. One who would not bring battle. But one who would bring peace coming on a humble donkey. Not on a war horse. But in a whole different way of living and ruling. Even though we know what God's Word says, we still want to go our own way. Jerusalem didn't want God's King. Not the Zechariah 9 kind. Not the kind that would bring peace. They wanted a warrior to go out there and fight their battles. And give them political freedom. But God gave them and the world exactly what we needed. And what I want you to see on this Palm Sunday, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, is that God gave you and me a king, the exact king we need, who can save us from ourselves. And empower us to follow God's will. I want you to think about that a moment. What do you need to be saved from today? Is it pride or, or arrogance or self-righteousness? These Jews, you know, thought they were the only nation in the whole world that really mattered. 
Perhaps we need to be saved from that same kind of nationalism that makes us think we're so much better than all the other nations in the world. Or maybe we need saving from a, a weak or fickle faith that causes us to abandon Jesus and the church at the first sign of trouble. The way we'll see a lot of people in this Palm Sunday crowd act later in the week. They'll abandon Jesus when the scribes and the Pharisees and Pilate turn up the heat. You see, Jesus needs not just those who are crazy when things are going well, but also those who will run with perseverance the race all the way to the end, even when we sometimes have imagined, unimaginable suffering. Maybe we need to be saved from our own pasts. A personal history that, that weighs us down and dampens our openness to God and His will for our lives. Or we need to be saved from fantastic plans and dreams that typically involve glory and power for ourselves. I say that because these disciples, you know, will be arguing about who is the greatest. These disciples have already been jockeying for positions of power and authority in Jesus' kingdom when they don't even understand what kind of kingdom it's going to be. And here was Jesus willing to become a slave of all as He walks calmly toward the cross just like a lamb for the slaughter. A cross that we justly deserve and, and one that He does not. As a king who willingly gives his life for others, Jesus reigns with a, a kind of character and power that no earthly ruler can match. Now what drew me to this text in the first place is not just that it's a typical Palm Sunday text, but the words of Jesus about this donkey. Jesus says, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs that. And He will send them at once. The Lord needs them. What does the Lord need from you today? What are you willing to give? All through this season, we've been talking about this question. What does the Lord require of you? Or what, what are you willing to give? Are you willing to loan Him one of your most prized possessions? That's what the owner of this donkey did. Think about Him.
what Jesus says. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You see, there will be rule there. Now, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you, but what kind of ruler is he going to be? He says, Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. This rest is found in this King who comes in the name of the Lord. As Paul reminds us in Romans 5, Therefore, since we're justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning we've been brought back into a right relationship with God through everything Jesus has done for us on the cross. This King. This King who comes not with a battle bow, but this King who is gentle. And lowly and hard. And offers rest to you and me. I don't know about you, but it sounds like the good news of the Gospel to me. Amen. Amen.